Lord, thank you so much for your great love. We thank you for this time of the year, this season, where we can celebrate Jesus Christ. We can celebrate the Savior, uh, a child that's been born, a son that has been given for the forgiveness of our sin. God, that excites us, and that should motivate us to, to overflow with, with joy and hope and peace because of that Savior. So God, today, as we come, as we worship, as we look to your word, we ask that you would impart wisdom to us. You'd open our hearts and minds to prepare room for him, that he would be the focus this year, and he'd, he'd be the focus every day of our lives. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 1. If you would turn there in your Bibles uh, quickly, we're going to Luke chapter 1. Uh, as you turn there, I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of a recap on, on where we've been. So Luke 1, uh, are, am I on? Am I good? Okay. So Luke 1, we've been going through Zechariah's song. It's, it's this overflow, this outflow of praise from Zechariah, who's going to be, he finds out he's going to be a dad, right? And he's, he's up in age, his wife's up in age, but she's even barren. And, and they didn't, they're like, how can, how can this be? Well, there's this time of silence. We talked about God breaking the silence between Malachi and between the gospel accounts, specifically Luke, when the earliest one. And this angel Gabriel shows up and breaks this silence of 400 years. So, so Zechariah is a priest. He's actually doing his priestly duty in Jerusalem. He's on duty there, and he's, he's, he gets drawn to go in and, and be the guy who lights the incense and burns the incense there at the altar of incense. And it's just like everything just is aligning for him. And we know that it's not astrology. We, we know that's Jesus. That's God, his divine sovereignty and providence, aligning things that, that they come out how he wants them. So then we see Zechariah there at the altar of incense, and then the angel of the Lord Gabriel appears to him right next to that altar, uh, that altar of incense and says, hey, listen, you're going to have a kid. The time that God had promised, the time of the redemption, the time of the Redeemer coming, coming forth is here. And you're going to have a, a child, and that child is the one that's prophesied about. Um, his name is going to be John. He's, and it, John means what? Remember? God is gracious, right? God is gracious. His name is John, and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's the one that's going to be born, and he's going to go in, the, go in, in a ministry and make straight the paths in the desert for the Lord, that he would point people to the redemption and salvation found through repentance and confession of, in, of faith in Christ, that that would be Jesus. So he, he gets excited. Well, first he says, oh, wait a minute. How can this be? Are you sure? Wait a minute. Are you, are you sure? Yeah, everything's here. Perfect. God made this. Yes, I'm sure. And he mutes him until the, the baby is born. So nine months later, we have this baby born, and, and I told you a few weeks ago, like, we started with this outflow of praise, praise that had to come from excitement in the heart. <clears throat> and, and you and I had to, had to ask that question of us, like, well, where's my praise coming from? And, and where's the depth of that? So when Zechariah pray, uh, praised God, it came from his heart, from a heart that knew and trusted, embraced in the promise of God, that God was going to do something huge. God was doing something amazing. And it started with John, that announcement to him and, and his, his son, John. And when he was born, remember the first praise was on a little written tablet, right? And I said, it's not a tablet like you think it is today. It's not, a, not an iPod thing, pad, you know, thing. It, it wasn't digital. It was like a chalkboard. And he, and he wrote, his name is John. This is, I, I can name him anything in the world, but the angel said name him John because that means God is gracious. We're going to name him John. So his name is John. And then he, he's able to speak, and then he overflows with praise. And we, we've gone through this for the last several weeks, and we talked about uh, that first part, that overwhelmingness of praise, we ask the question, what song are we singing? Are we singing a song from the depth of our heart because we've been forgiven by Jesus, because he's visited us, because he's provided redemption for us? Are we, what, what song are we singing? And then we talked about the promise, that, that we hold on to this promise. And, and we asked this question about the, uh, about the promise. Am I living by fear and guilt, or am I embracing the promise and living by faith in that promise and in his righteousness? 
that his righteousness can change me, that he can transform me, that, that I want to embrace the promise of God. That's what we should be embracing, right? And then last week we talked about uh, the idea of how we measure greatness. We talked about John, Jesus called John the greatest man who was ever born, right? The greatest human being. And, and we talked about why he was great and, and the fact that we don't have to, have to like not aspire to be great. Actually, I said when, when someone came to Jesus and said, you know, how can, I, how can I be the greatest? He didn't say, oh, wait, stop trying to be great. He said, if you want to be greatest, he said, become a servant of all. And we saw that greatness is measured differently than the world measures greatness, amen? That we see a, a whole different uh, level of measurement in the world. And right now, we can embrace a measurement that God says. God says, if you want to be great, be a servant of all. So we asked the question, how, how am I measuring greatness? And specifically, I talked about Christmas time. Like, I, my wife and I went, went last minute Christmas shopping yesterday, right? Saturday, the Saturday before Christmas. We, we left the house, right? We left the house, and maybe before that, as we're driving out, we're driving, and I'm like, I'm like, Mathia, today needs to be one of those days where we help each other just go with the flow. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, it's going to be nuts. And so we went to Medford, and we're, we're, we're first of all, we're on the freeway. We're driving normal speeds like we always drive, and we have cars just whizzing by us. And I'm like, it, this, I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, crazy, what's going on? We get to Medford, and of course, it, it is a zoo. And we're entering the town, you can see the overpasses, Cars are just over the freeway, back and forth. And you get, you get off on that, and you're like, okay, i got to go to the mall. And I'm like, okay, it's okay. And I, I get off the freeway, and I pull up to the stoplight, and I'm like, okay, there's lights. And, and the first thing I did is I took the wrong lane turn. And I got behind some cars that wasn't at a stoplight. I had to sit there and wait for all these cars to go by. And there were some nice people. There. God bless them. There were nice people that would stop. Like this semi-driver just said, I'm just going to stay here. He stopped and let a bunch of cars come through. It was great. And, but in that moment, I, I knew. I was like, just go with the flow. Like, don't measure greatness is not getting there super fast before everybody and tackling them for that gift. That's not greatness. I want to love Jesus. I want to be humble. I want to be compassionate. I don't want to say bad words. That's what we want to do. Right? How do we measure greatness? And so we pulled in and we, we reminded, like, it doesn't matter if we park in the back 40. And on the way, on the way in, we're hearing like a, a thing on the radio talking about people shopping at malls and they can't find parking spaces because it's so full. I'm just starting to dread. I'm like, no, it's okay. God, God's going to take care of it. And he did. We, we found a parking space. No big deal. We walked in. We, we did our thing. We went through the whole mall. We stood in line. We talked. We chatted. It was no big deal. Because we, we weren't measuring greatness by how fast we could get as many Christmas presents, right? It, it, was, a, it was a wonderful time for my wife and I. My kids weren't there. <laughs> right? It was, it was like a date. <laughs> Right? And that was, that was great. So when we talk about greatness, how are we measuring greatness? I hope, I, I know some of you are like, I got to go home. I got to wrap presents, Brandon, wrap this up. That's not how we measure greatness. Let's let, let's let God and his word impart wisdom into our, into our life, into our heart. Let him change us and challenge us and grow us. Let, let's be humble and, and gentle and servants of all because of what Jesus has done for us. So we talked about how we measure greatness last week. This week, we see uh, we, he transitions from talking about John and how great, how great he was because he was a servant, and we see uh, Zechariah continue to praise the visitor, the one who would be visiting and would be the redeemer of all. So we're going to read through our text and just go through a couple of these uh, couple points before we go back into worship, right? So let's, in Luke chapter 1, looking at verse 67, I, I want to read the whole praise and we'll, we'll talk about it. So then, then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel. Why? Because he has visited. He's the visitor. And provided 
redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. And he has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, in his presence all of our days. And you, child, this is talking about John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That's why he's great. In verse 78, because of our God's merciful compassion, this is where we pick up today, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That, that's just an amazing statement. So today, I want us to take a look at this visitor. Who is this visitor? And to me, it, we have to kind of go to, to John chapter 1. And you don't have to turn there today. We're going to try to break these down fairly quickly. But the first thing to understand about this visitor is that this visitor, he is God. This visitor is God. Luke says, God of Israel has visited to provide redemption, right? We saw that in verse 68 and then in verse 78, because of our God's merciful compassion. So God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us. There's this visitation happening. And I want to read a section of John chapter 1 because I think it really ties in. And we've, we've read some of this throughout the last few, uh, few weeks as well. It says this in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Now, I want us to understand that God is this visitor, and John lays this out, that, that this, this, and when he uses the word, the word word, he's talking about the logos, and he's, he's speaking to Greeks, and he's wanting them to understand, he's, the Greeks think there's this tumultuous chaos that happens, that, that if you step foot in a river, and you took your foot out, and stepped in it again, you'd be stepping in a different place. You couldn't control that. But they felt that the Logos, the Logos would be the thing that brings everything together, brings everything back into order. The Logos. So when, when John speaks about the Word, he's speaking about Jesus, he's calling Jesus the Logos, the one that holds everything together. He's the one that, that existed before time and, and everything was made by him. That, that he's the one who can sustain. He's the one that can bring order into chaos. So John's saying, in the beginning, the Word, Logos, the order was there. So that he's always existed. It's not this... Understand, our redemption, our need for salvation is not this by chance thing that God didn't know was going to happen. He wasn't like, oh man, I'm surprised that they did this. I better come up with a plan. <laughs> Before the foundations of the world, God knew what he was going to do. And Jesus, God the Son, has always been a part of that plan. And, and why though? So why is there this merciful compassion. This is, what, this is what Zechariah says. Blessed, because of God's merciful compassion. Why do we need mercy? Well, Scripture tells us that the heart is wicked and deceitful and beyond a cure. That you and I, as human beings, are sinful and beyond a cure. Now, the rest of humanity, and you and I probably included in this at some point in our life, maybe some of you today, are still trying to fix yourself. You're still trying to fix what's wrong. You're still trying to make right what went wrong. You, newsflash, you and I can't do it. We cannot 
do it. So God himself had to come down. And that's the beauty of Christmas. When we see this visitor, this baby lion in a manger, God had to come to earth. He didn't just come to earth and be like, oh, well, yeah, you need me and you need me. The rest, are, they got it taken care of. They're, it's under control. They were able to fix themselves. But you just, it's bad news. No, that's not what Jesus said. He came for all because we were all wicked and desperately evil and beyond a cure. We needed him. We needed his mercy to show up. And, and it was mercy because we deserve something so much worse. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God came to visit us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So Jesus, the Son, right? God the Son was with God. And it says He was God. Now there's this thing called the Trinity we, we teach about, right? There's the doctrine of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Big doctrine. A lot of people talk about this. A lot of people try to explain it. I'm, that's not what we're doing today. What we're saying is this, that God the Father existed with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit before the foundations of the world. And then it, it, when it pleased God the Father, He sent God the Son into the world. And it says in verse 14 of John that the Word has become flesh. And we're going to see that in just a minute. The Word became flesh. The Son became flesh. So He wasn't flesh before that. He became flesh and made His dwelling place among us. So God, this is actually God coming to earth. I want us to understand it's very important. It got, it's not a created being. Some, some of the religions say, well, Jesus is, a, is the archangel Michael. He, he's a created being. That scripture we just read says, all things were created through him and apart from him or without him, not one thing that was created was created. So if he was a created being, he would have had to have created himself. But he didn't because he is not a created being. He is God. He is God, Emmanuel, God with us. There's a reference to Colossians. You can check that out later on with your family. It talks about the preeminence of Christ, that he is the, invisible, or the image of the invisible God. Uh, and God was pleased in verse 19 to have his fullness dwell in him. So God the Father was pleased to have his fullness of the Godhead dwell in the Son, as well as in the Spirit. The fullness was there. So the visitor was God, is God. The next thing we have to understand is the visitor had to become flesh. Not just the visitor became flesh. The visitor had to become flesh. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, why? Why did, did that have to happen? Because we, we know that our heart is deceitful and, and wicked and beyond a cure, it's evil, right? And that all have sinned and fallen short of the God's glorious standard. All of us have sinned. Not one of us is better than the other as far as looking from God's perspective. You've all sinned. We've all sinned. And the Bible says the wages of sin is what? It's death. The wages of sin is death. So God had two options. He could let me pay the penalty for my own sin and let me die. Or, in His infinite love, as He chose to do, He said a child would be born to you and a son would be what? Given. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He what? Gave His only Son. And He became flesh so He could take the penalty that I owed. He became flesh. He was brought into life so that He could die. He had to become flesh. 
if He wanted to pay for your sin and my sin, He had to die. And He's God. God doesn't die. So He said, I'll, I'll become flesh. Isaiah 53 says this, talking about Jesus. This is, this is prophecy about Jesus before it ever happened. But He, Jesus, was pierced because of our rebellion, right? His flesh, of the body, was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him. And we are healed by His what? His wounds. The wounds of His flesh. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished Him, Jesus, for the iniquity of us all. Yes, the Lord was pleased to crush Him severely. That's, that's difficult language. Especially from a parent's standpoint. I find no pleasure in, in having my son or daughter crushed. The Father was pleased to, to crush Jesus. Why? Because it brought you and I what we needed. It brought us life. It brought us forgiveness. It brought us hope and brought us peace. That we would be able to be reconciled back with God. Jesus said, and we, and we try, we try to, to earn our way, don't we? This is where, where Jesus comes in the form of a baby lying in a manger, and he rebukes the entire religious system with it. He says, you think you can do it on your own. Guess what? You can't. I'm coming as a man, and I'm going to do it for you. As a tiny baby, the God of the universe rebukes every world religion, every, every form of thought that says you can earn it on your own. And says it's all about what I can do. And Jesus said in John 6, he says, I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And here's what he says, the bread that I will give for, for the life of the world, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's my flesh. Jesus had to become flesh. And Philippians tells us that God humbled himself and, became, and Jesus became obedient to the will of the Father. That he willingly gave himself up and went to the cross. Not because someone put him in chains. Not because someone beat him. Not because someone drug him there and, and nailed him to him. Because God of the universe allowed them to do that and, and went to the cross to die where I should have. He had to become flesh. Because he was given and he was willing to be given for us. And I hope that as, as we cont we'll continue further in this, but I hope that as we think about Christmas we think about Jesus. We have the little Jesus in the manger scene on our, on our mantle at home. It's more than just a little Jesus in a manger. This is the God of the universe. The visitor is the God of the universe who had to become flesh. And as he did that, he rebuked every thought we could ever have of self-righteousness and said, you are nothing. I'm, I'm a baby, a helpless babe, and you are nothing. I am the everything that you need. I am the treasure of Christmas. I am the treasure of every day. I am the treasure that you need for your heart to be free. And that's what Christmas is about. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, we're going to continue, I know, in, in worship and, and celebrating with, with giving as, as we give our offering, God. And God, it's, it's just an act of worship. And Father, we want to express that to you. We want our, our lives to be an overflow of worship and praise to you. Why? Because you, God, the God of the universe, came among us and visited us. And, and you became flesh because we deserve to die. And you were willing to die on your own. So God, I pray as we continue that we will, we will pour out our praise to you. We'll pour out our love to you. That God, we will give you the honor and glory that you deserve. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
You know, I, I, I've already kind of given away the last part of the sermon, so if you, if you kind of doze off now, it's okay. <laughs> um, you know, we, we talked to, I talked to the children and let them know, like, you know, God is knocking on the door. He wants, he wants to come in. He wants to be in and live, live in us. And that's the mystery of this awesome gospel is that, that Christ can transform and change. He takes out that old heart of stone and he turns it into a heart of flesh and, and, and makes life beat inside of us, but not because of us, but because of him. But for now, he settles in some people's backyards, in his tent, wanting dwelling among us, wanting to live inside of us, and knocking on that door day in and day out. And for children, you know, there's, there's something about children and their faith, right? They, just, they open that door up. They want, they want that. Yeah, come on in, Jesus. For adults, it's a little more difficult, isn't it? You know, the idea, the question today I, I wanted to pose to you all is this, is have I made room for this visitor? Have I made room for this visitor? You know, I, I know it. You know it. We're adults. Uh, we have company coming over. What do we do? Clean the house. We shove things in closets. We vacuum. We light a candle because something smelled sometime. <laughs> I mean, you know. And you prepare. You get ready because someone's going to come to the front door and someone's going to knock at 6 o'clock and probably before because they're going to be early. And as adults, we tend to think, well, I, I have time. I've got to make room. I've got to clean it up. I've got to figure it out. And then I'll... Then I'll make that decision. Then I'll open that door to Jesus. I'll let him in. That's not how it works. Jesus knows and sees the wreck that you are. He knows and sees the wreck that I am. He says, let me in. Let me, let me come in and help renovate this mess that you are. This wreck that you are. Let me change. That's why I, God of the universe, have come into the flesh to live, to die, to rise victoriously over death so that you could have life and have it abundantly, but only in Him. That's the last thing. Number three is this. The visitor wants to dwell with us and give us peace. The visitor wants to dwell with us and give us peace. So, so Zechariah in 78, he says this, Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide their feet into the way of peace. He's ready to do that. He's ready to guide our feet into the way of peace, to shine the light in the darkness. And I know, I know that is difficult because there are things in my heart, in my life, that I don't want lit up. I don't want exposed. But Jesus is God. He's not just a friend or a neighbor coming over for dinner. He's God and He already knows you. He wants to dwell with us and give us peace. I want to go back to the John, uh, John chapter 1. Verses 4 through 14 again. I want, to re- I want to read this to you. I want you to see the fullness of this desire of him to dwell with us, to be with us. John 1, beginning in verse 4, says, In him, talking about Jesus or the Word, right? In him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it or comprehend it. I, I talked to a student uh, I'm discipling this week, and I want you to understand what this means. The light is shining in the darkness. Like he, he pitches that tent, and it's, it's like there's these lights. Like, hello, I'm here, I'm here, I'm, I'm exposing everything. And, but the darkness not comprehending it, here's what happens. People, you and I, people, we, we do this. In the middle of a light room, in the middle of this, this floodlight, we walk around with our eyes covered. We close our eyes to it. We, Jesus is in the backyard with floodlights, and it's like, oh! What do we do? We pull the blinds. Whoa, we're going to black out these windows, man. We've got some blackout stuff going on. This is what we do. 
This is what the world does. But the light came into the darkness to shine on it and bring life. Yet the darkness did not overcome it or did not understand it or comprehend it. They closed their eyes. And so there was a man, verse 6, sent from God whose name was John. means God is gracious. He comes as a witness to testify about the light. You're closing your eyes. Here's the light. The light is here. Stop closing your eyes, is what he's saying. Repent of your sin and turn to him in faith. He was a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And here's verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. God with us. Emmanuel. He's, he's visiting us and he's coming to dwell with us. Verse 10, he was in the world. He pitched his tent. He was in the world. And the world was created through him. We saw that earlier. And yet the world, it says, did not recognize him. See, as we talk about God dwelling with us, the problem we have is our eyes are closed and we don't want to recognize that he is God. We'll say, well, he's another created being. He's a good teacher. He was probably maybe a prophet. You know, he has some good things to say. But, but we have to confess that he is God, the true light that brings light into the entire world world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. Uh, verse 11, he came to his own. So he, a Jew under Jews, he came to his own people even. And his own people didn't receive him. But in verse 12, you circle that word but, right? Our conjunction here to wrap everything up, tie things together. Get, here's the part. Here's the important part for you and I because he's knocking at the door right now. The lights are shining brightly in your backyard. Maybe you're in your front yard, right in front of you. We have to take the blinders off. We have to take those blackout windows and the shades down. We have to open our eyes. Because, but to all who did receive, he gave the right to be children of God to those who would believe in his name. Amen? Amen. That's what he's given us. If you want to be a child of God, we have to open our eyes and let that light flood in. We have to open the door to Jesus. We have to believe that we are incapable of doing it on our own. And we have to receive him as the gift he is, the Messiah, the child born in a manger, who was born to die and raised victoriously over death so you and I could have life. That's what we're talking about. That we would believe and receive and then become a child of God. And he's here. He dwells with us. He's here in the world now saying, here I am. Here I am. Turn to me. Believe in me. Trust in me. They would not be born of, uh, uh, these people who were born of God would not be born of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of a man, but born of God. Born of God. In verse 14, the Word. This is, this is, where we're, this is the definition here. This is the why. We just covered the why. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is the promise of Christmas. The promise is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that He shined this light into the darkness, that if we would believe and receive the Son, Jesus Christ, we would have life, and we would observe His glory, and He's full of grace and truth. That's our Savior. That is Emmanuel, God with us. Not just near us, not just in a tent in the backyard, but it is God with us. And I don't care how your house looks on the inside. Open the door. 
Let him come in. Don't just let him sit on the mantle in a manger or in the backyard in a tent. Let Jesus, God of the universe, who had to become flesh for you and went to the cross for you, who's knocking on the door of your heart, let him come in. He is the greatest gift we could ever receive. And we ought to warmly receive him at every moment. Amen? God is so, so good. Let's, uh, let's pray, and I think we're going to go into some response time of worship. Let's pray together. Stand with me and pray. Worship team, I'll invite you to come on back up. Father, you are an amazing God, and, and I, it blows me away that it's not just the baby in a manger on a mantle that we, we look at and celebrate. It's, it's Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the Son who took on flesh so, because he had to for us. And God, it amazes me of what you've done and how you pursued us and how you're knocking on the door of our heart. And God, my, my prayer is that we would open up. We wouldn't try to clean up or clean house first. We would just get to our knees empty and let you renovate us, the wrecks that we are, that we would celebrate Christmas the right way. We'd celebrate Christmas with the priority of Jesus Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.